ready when you are. All right, I'm ready. All right, Frank's ready. Join with Frank Karras, head snow ranger for the Mount Washington Avalanche Center. This is part of our weekly or, or however we feel necessary um, to do this, how often it will change throughout the year. But we'd love to get this going weekly to educate people um, throughout the weekend to do our part for out, outreach. It's been a while since we've done one of these, Frank. We um, Last we spoke officially on the record was March 28th. Wow. Lots happened since then. A lot has happened since then. Um, yeah, give me, give me, just uh, tell me what you've been up to since then, and then we can, we can hop into the fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, well, as you recall, the uh, in the spring, well, I don't even want to scratch open that old wound, but having Tuckerman Ravine closed for the spring was no fun for anybody, um, including us, and. Uh, we're just glad that's over. We know a little bit more about the virus um, and its transmission and um, have a plan to go into the season. Um, I can't say business as usual, really, but, um, you know, we have no plans to close. Um, and I wouldn't recommend that we close for any reason, really, um, you know, depending on what's going on in the world. I think, obviously, we've got to be guided by, by that and by what community resources and whatnot but you know i think the main thing um to think about for us is the search and rescue angle and our ski patrollers are part of that and then snow ranger health is part of that so we want i want to stay healthy and keep forecasting so um there may be a little bit you know more cautious FaceTime, as we <laughs> call it socially distance of course but you know stopping and talking on the snowmobiles and um, giving people advice about where to ski and um, what's good, what's climbing well, and then, you know, what the stability is like in the ravines. Um, and then the other big piece of the puzzle besides that is the search and rescue part. And the fishing game has just been inundated um, all summer and all fall. Uh, just a ton of calls. Um, our area rescue teams have really been just you know, busier than they should be. And so, you know, the message that we want to send is just make sure that when you're coming up, you're ready to handle your own situation. So travel, you know, with a partner that, you, you know, that's skilled and or two. If you're going to do a lap alone, make sure you tell people where you're going and when you're going to be back. Um, obviously, you're not going into avalanche terrain alone. But even just a you know Sherburn lap, um, so the main thing would be to be self-sufficient to the point where you could affect your own rescue. You know, it's these kind of casual um, encounters where nothing you know, like you and I, we can easily easily socially distance and follow all our protocols. But when you're shoulder to shoulder carrying a litter or performing you know care on a patient, it just raises the raises the threat level a little bit, you know, so we want people to be just ready to take care of themselves in their own group. Well, with the increase in, in the user group, increase in size, you've seen the trailheads driven by Pinkham Notch and seeing it overflowing the summertime almost feels like the springtime Tuckerman ravine. Yeah. Um, Cars number, all along the road. And those, those sort of numbers from people just driving, over over the notch going by Great Glen, the auto road, traffic just insane this summer. 
So that's going to put a strain on the resources. You guys aren't scaling. How many, you, you mentioned you're going to have some new snow rangers. What, what are your resources looking like for this winter? And are you guys changing at all? Yeah, well, we're not scaling up um, in personnel. Um, we have two new snow rangers and Jeff Fongemi is returning. So we've got our team of four going into the season, which is great. Um, we will have an intern. He's joining us for December. He's a climbing ranger from Mount Shasta. Actually, his first season last year. Um, so he's going to be helping us out. Um, we're working through a lot of tech uh, projects right now um, with a new avalanche forecast platform. It's a called the Common Avalanche Forecast Platform. So our um, some of the tools on our website, um, you know, weather and observations and, um, you know, s snow observations and as well as public observations will have a look and feel similar to a few other avalanche centers now that are using it. Um, most specifically, if you want to, if you're curious, you could look at the Sawtooth Avalanche Center. They have, they're using this platform. And basically the concept is that every avalanche center shouldn't have to go through all the, all the technical, um, you know, IT stuff every, every year, you know, and uh, every time you want to make a change or every time there's an, uh, you know, web server attack, you know, we're each of us, each avalanche center is doing that kind of work. So the idea is we're going to scale it. So each uh, many avalanche centers are buying into this and there's some guys who are, are paid um, to handle handle updates and patches and backups and some of the things that, uh, you know, fall on the shoulders of, you know, people who aren't necessarily <laughs> that great at it. Yeah, yeah you got to be pretty, pretty technology uh, savvy to get some of this stuff yeah, in well, place. We've had a tremendous, you know, run of, of help, volunteer help from Jeff Fongemi, who who does this stuff, uh, had done it for a living before he came to work at the Avalanche Center and uh, want to get him out from behind the desk and out into the field doing, you know, doing the other work that needs to happen as much as possible. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, we're going to roll it out at some point this season, hopefully earlier rather than later, but we'll see how it goes. We want to take our time and do it right. Um, and, you know, first, next off, uh, we're going to be putting on ESAW. So that's yeah. another. Well, I guess speaking of technology and where we are in uh, society right now are all of our virtual meetups. And it, from the sounds of it, I missed it on Friday, October 30th. You guys had an introduction to Avalanche Safety course with uh, a few different speakers. And I heard there were quite a bit of people yeah, uh, that attended that. 450, over 450 people attended that. That's It was recorded. We, had, uh, we enlisted the help of some Avalanche educators that live in the area. And they did you know, modules on different topics, um, choosing a partner, how to read an avalanche forecast, a couple other topics. Um, I think there's a case study thrown in there as well. And um, yeah, it was a good night of about an hour and a half, bunch of Q&A, live, live Q&A. Where's that going to be available? Or when, that when that is should it? be on ESAW, E-S-A-W dot O-R-G uh, right now. Um, we'll link to it on our on the Avalanche Center website as well. And we're also working on um, an FAQs section that uh, 
you know, there were a lot of questions asked that we didn't get to. Um, we're trying to get those compiled and answered and post those as well. So, and coming up November 17, 18, 19, we have our 10th annual ESAW, you know, will be virtual Zoom, Zoom talks and, uh, honored to have some pretty pretty amazing legends in the avalanche and snow science world um we have um eric knopf will be who's a former forecaster at the gallatin now runs east point avalanche in uh montana he's going to talk about um basically reducing uh reducing the rate of false stable results from two different um, stability tests, so the extended column test or extended compression test and the propagation saw test, each are a little bit different and meant to do different things. Um, fair amount of, uh, <clears throat> well, we'll just, we'll tune in with him, but there's a lot to it, um, talking about how to, how to more adequately figure out, uh, uh what's going on regarding initiation and propagation. And those two are pretty different things. So he's going to talk about that one night, and we'll get into some of the uh, details there that night on those tests. And then Grant Statham is going to present um, on the house range recovery operation, which, um, if you recall, there was a ice climbing accident that killed David Lama, John Raskelly's son, and there's another alpinist I'm blanking on, but... Um, those guys were going up to do uh, a thing and uh, an ice climb, long, probably hard climb, knowing them. And, um, you know, the national parks there, I forget which one it was, north of Banff. And they got avalanched by, um, you know, a, a late season reactivated persistent slab avalanche. And, um, you know, like many climbers, they were not. Um, they chose not to carry avalanche gear, I think, because, you know, the it was one of those high consequence, low probability kind of avalanche problems. And um, they got uh, they got caught and buried and were not beeping. And it was a kind of a harrowing rescue, I take it, due to the fact that uh, the length of exposure of the rescuers involved and the strategies that needed to be employed to try and find them. Um, you know, when you when people get buried deeper than a probe depth, you know, over 10 feet um, or more, there's some some strategies to do that, trench shoveling and um, side probing and a lot of stuff. So I'm not sure exactly what Grant did uh, with that, but it's, it should be a, a good tale. And good learning opportunity. And then night number two, we have another legend who, uh, Don Sheriff, who used to be actually a caretaker at Hermit Lake in the 90s before Maury McKinney. And I forget who was before him, but uh, he was there for a year. I think he got tired of wind slabs and moved to the Driggs area. And uh, he is a avalanche educator and guide, and he's the forecaster for a helicopter operation out there and also I'm not sure if outright owner or co-owner of American Avalanche Institute and uh, I had my level three with him um, a good while ago in Salt Lake City but he, he's a one of the great things about him is his ability to um, convey technical information 
you know, in a way that makes sense. So it's a guy that knows about everything you'd want to know about, you know, snow stability and, and snow science where it meets the ground as it relates to skiers and, and uh, people moving around in the terrain. So that'll, he, I think he's talking on wind slabs actually. And then um, followed, I think by, um, I think follower goes before, I can't remember, but the one and only Bruce Tremper, former director of the Utah Avalanche Center and author of Staying Alive in Avalanche Terrain and number of other papers and looking forward to to him talking about well we'll see exactly how it's going to pan out we've had some conversations but um no doubt through his years of experience in uh in the world of backcountry skiing and all the changes he's seen in you know the cottonwoods and the wasatch range um he'll have a, a good perspective on um backcountry skiing I think so. Pretty comprehensive. Yeah. I mean, from that book, we have that here in the shop. Um, yeah. yeah. Great book. Another good, good guy for, um, you know, conveying the vagaries of decision-making and, um, snow stability and just has a lot of practical, uh, experience and knowledge in that world. He's enjoying his retirement now. So we're, we're able to grab him between like backpacking and rafting trips and mountain biking. Well, I like the right I like there. that you're breaking this up, and it's not just an information packed one day. You have no. time time for this to digest, and just splitting up between a couple of pres- presenters each night. Yeah, and then the fact maybe that is a benefit of having the Zoom, the the virtual technology, because you know you don't have to worry about the logistics of getting someone here, and uh-huh. they can sort of just hand it off. And yep, yeah, and it's live, and these guys have, uh, you know. People have chosen to do these live, which I think is great. And we'll have, you know, a Q&A after each um, each night. And then the third night, we're, um, I'm going to give a little talk. And then we're going to open up a panel discussion. So people can submit questions in advance or ask them um, of those folks while they're there. Um, I, anyone that's been to ESAWS has seen that. And I think it um, it's something that, I think people get a lot of value out of and um, the Instagram questions. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And um, you know, you can, you can ask, uh, ask any expert the same question. You'll get slightly different answers, which is great. So we'll uh, benefit from all their perspectives. So yeah, that's Esau. Um, Your people have uh, really been signing up. I think we're like 250 or 300 have signed up. It's 25 bucks. And, that's great. Yeah, at uh, Freiburg Academy, you know, it was like, I think our max was 180, uh, 180 people. So um, we're getting uh, getting that interest. And, and like you said, the logistics of of people getting there is, is easier too. You know, you don't have to get to Freiburg early in the morning and miss out on the beer at night because you got a long drive home. So, yeah, the, the all these saws around the country have been a great opportunity for folks. Excellent. Again, that's the Eastern Snow and Avalanche Workshop, November 17th, 18th, 19th. ESA.org has all the information. And if you go on their top tab, as you pointed out, they have that that's intro video available on YouTube. I'll also link that in the comments here. But that's a good opportunity to check out some of the, you know, we starting to get heads up, starting to get our mind, mind frame in winter mode here. We've already had plenty of snowstorms up in the White Mountains and people are starting to get their gear and, and uh, 
there, there's a lots of lots going on. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of aspects of backcountry skiing and safety is one of them. So it's something that we want to cover and promote here. Um, yeah, I think we're going to get a lot of questions about just the number of people into the backcountry, what you guys are doing and what you're seeing out there. And so that's kind of the, that's going to be a overarching theme throughout the winter that hopefully we can address and speak about incidents and past incidents, preventing future incidents. Um, so if people have questions and, and any feedback on this, we'd be more than happy to address it and, and help keep getting the word out. I mean, this is really important opportunity for a lot of, uh, visitors that are coming up just to be a little, get a little more heads up on, on what to expect and our opportunity to share any, anything worth sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I just going into the season, uh, hopefully people are going to ski nice. I don't know if you saw the ski kind ski kind brochure, um, or a flyer that Tyler and GBA and those folks backcountry concepts put out, but a great message. Um, I think, you know, we, uh, there's a fair amount of space to spread out in the presidential range, but you know, the way it works is there's always going to be hot spots and, and people are going to be kind of clustering to the usual areas. And hopefully, um, you know, people are going to ski kind and work together and acknowledge that it isn't a, you know, a race to the top to drop in first and be respectful of, of the skin track and, ski one at a time and stay out of the runouts and you know there's a lot of uh lot of learnings and uh we hope they're all uh it's all a wicked learning environment where there's a couple of close calls but nobody gets hurt right and everybody gets the message but we just don't want any serious accidents so um we we uh are hoping for a a mellow season and a safe season and um lots of lots of glades to ski if we get the right snow and plenty of ski trails on mount washington and elsewhere in the in new hampshire and maine so um you know the the message i hope people take home is that you know moderate is not the new low (laughs) and uh you know don't ski alone it just really despite the fact you might have seen somebody on the skin track, you are skiing alone. If it's not a person that you know and trust, even if it's somebody else in the gully, you're basically alone. You don't know the rescue skills. You don't, you don't know whether they've even got a shovel or whether they can assemble it right. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a big deal. I think. No, that's a great message. Um, well, I know you have your hands full. You got the Esau coming up, and we'll see what happens between. It looks like we're in a great weather stretch. I don't think we're going to be getting much snow anytime yeah, soon. Or that's fine. That's fine with me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine with me, me as well. Um, but again, we're going to hope to get these more regular, and I think after Esau, be prime time based on the weather predictions. We're looking at a perhaps an early winter here, a strong, a strong winter. I hope. Yeah, but, should be a pretty wet winter by the. You know the models are are showing that's what do you, likely. What do you? What's your intel? Uh, just slightly above average wetness, so could be a snowy winter. But also that's above average temperature. You know, mm-hmm. but those don't always play out like you think. You know, but looking at all the activity from in, in the Atlantic, and um, you know, I I don't know that that equates directly to increased nor'easter patterns, but 
you know, it could line up. You just don't know. Charlie Lepresti went through the data. He pulled up a weak La Nina year and compared it to other similar years, and it's pointing towards an above-average snowfall, but also a warmer yeah. winter. Yeah. So we're going to... So like last year, we had some warmer storms, remember, that that actually resulted in quite a lot of snow on the mountain. So yeah, the warmer than average can still be cold enough for snow. So we'll see. Maybe that's just overly optimistic. I'm sure we'll get at least one rainstorm to drive everybody to fat biking for a little while. Or I, want, I, I just want, I, I like the weather gambling and I wanted to hear what you thought about it. <laughs> Is there a pool? It's on, it's on record. All right. We can revisit this later. All right. All right. Well, Frank, thanks for your time. We'll connect soon. Absolutely. And um, best of luck getting Esau out there. I think we'll get some more. We'll get those numbers up. I mean, we should hit 400, right? Yeah, I would think so. It's, uh, yeah, seems likely. And thanks for having me. The shop looks great. If you want some backcountry ski gear, uh, Ski the Whites is the shop right now. <laughs> Even You're hired. Them. Frank was in here already selling, upselling people onto the into Club ATK. So, <laughs> hey, appreciate- man, I was just drooling on him. <laughs> appreciate it, Frank. All right, we'll talk to you. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, back on. We just forgot that uh, Frank was just casually bringing up Avalanche gear, and and then it got somehow always everything's pointing back to Peeps and and that whole ordeal and and all, all the scrutiny that they're under. And it'd be a good opportunity just to talk about what you know and um, pass that information along to prospective buyers and people are in the market for Avalanche gear right now. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, Avalanche safety gear and, and beacons particularly are, you know, they're rugged in one level, but when you think about it, it's essentially like a ruggedized cell phone in your pocket. You know, these are not... They're not indestructible and not to throw peeps under the bus at all, but this um, switch problem that one of their models had, um, you know, basically um, created some, some issues. And um, there's some, some good information on the on websites. They've been getting thrown under the bus on social media for sure. Um, there's a, a little component on the switch the slide switch that turns the beacon off and on um, that can crack Um, that's one thing that can happen and supposedly if you put it in your pocket face out uh, or not pocket in your uh, in the harness even um, face out that switch is exposed um, to being you know to struck being struck by a tree say if you ran into it a rock or something happens in an avalanche um, or it can also, apparently, this thing can get to the point where it can switch off just um, just putting it in there. So it doesn't have to be a big strike from a tree or whatever. Um, so just sliding it into your harness, just that act can cause it to switch off or bumping it or something. Obviously, that is not a feature you can have on a beacon. You know, it's got to be on. And um, the one guy, um, his beacon... Uh, you know, the one you knew about, it sounded like he hit a tree. Yeah, we're talking about made. Nick McNutt, and you can go online yeah. and see see some of this video. It was, in, I think, released on Instagram in, a, like, a four-part series about the whole situation. And, yeah, you can watch him. Oh, he he's the guy that lived. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so someone else died. Right. 
Yeah, so he, he um, they were sure that Nick McNutt, they were sure that they had done a beacon check, as they should have, right, at the parking lot. And uh, when, you know, he they were filming, he's a professional skier, and uh, filming, and he gets strained through some trees, an avalanche that, you know, they I think they thought was manageable, fairly small, but turned out to be a little bigger. Part of the pillow kicked off into the That's right, and triggered the gully, next, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so he ended up getting buried, and the the audio of that is pretty horrifying. When his friends turn on their beacons, they're like, "What's going on? Oh my God, we don't have we don't have a beacon signal coming in." So, so that was, uh, you know, not good. And then someone else um, died, and I forget their name, but there's something there's there's a lot to that as well that you can find if you google search for it um so peeps has uh, offered a very generous upgrade deal um if you have that model beacon you can send it back and you can get a discount on a new one um so yeah check your beacon and i think no matter what beacon or what brand beacon you own like this is the time of year to pull it out check for any mechanical problems with it you know check that switch make sure you're operating the switch you know properly like you're pushing it down to slide it um all these you know these things wear out like anything so you want to you want to treat them carefully um they should be in a harness or protected in your pocket you got to check for battery uh and we were talking about upgrading your beacon every so many years. Yeah. Which beacons are on the way out? Which ones are we getting rid of? We're getting rid of beacons that are 10 years old. Um, you, you should just draw that line in the sand. Um, uh, a more modern beacon is going to serve you better, um, and you can you know, more likely count on it. Um, and then stay up with the with the manufacturer once you do get a beacon to make sure you're getting firmware updates like uh, regularly and um, and f- definitely take your batteries out at the end of the season if you know they shouldn't be in there for longer than three months and really just use use the damn thing turn it on at the car you know not when you're thinking about getting in the terrain on at the car and off when you get down. Um, battery life and those beacons is fantastic you can use if your battery takes lithium batteries you can ski the whole season with one set of batteries assuming you remember to turn it off when you get down which is everyone's mistake but um yeah just don't skimp on trying to save batteries in the skin track on the way out up because it's just trust me it's too easy to forget during your turn your beacon on and uh that's not good so and then that also begs the question, and that was what I was asking you downstairs, is whether you rented the the gear. And I I think it's commendable to make that gear available. Some people cannot afford that gear or don't think they can, um, and so they rent gear, and that's good. Just remember, like if your partner has rented some gear, how good are they going to be using that um, to to find you should you get caught? I guess probably a lot of people are renting gear for, uh, you know, they forgot it or maybe they're taking a class. But the main thing is, like, if you're going to stay in backcountry skiing or climbing and if you're going to be in avalanche terrain, buy the gear and get trained on it and, and use it regularly because 
it's remarkable how long it takes to get good, to get really good with your beacon. You know, it's not, not a simple, like I practice once a season. You know, if you really want to get good and quick and go through all the little problems that sometimes come up with an avalanche beacon search, the little ghost signals and, you know, the timing, um, considerations that you need to, to figure out for your signal acquisition or signal overlap if you have multiple beacons in play. Um, those things just are, are that skill set develops slowly. So buying a beacon and then practicing with it um, is just really key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just one part of the, the big puzzle here is having the gear and then knowing how to use it and not only knowing how to use it, but refresh yourself and stay up to date and practice it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Take a class, take an avalanche class, you know, stay out of trouble and get to the point where you don't need a beacon. You don't need to use your beacon in the field. That's the ideal. All right, cool. Well, thanks for touching on that. And any gear questions, send those in as well. We'll be happy to, happy to address those.